Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. I am very happy today because I have Wang Wei Meng, the co-founder of Speed Home. For those of you who do not know, Speed Home is tackling the home rental market with zero deposit for tenants by combining insurance protection and tech innovation. Thank you very much for being here, Wei Meng. Hey, thanks, Kevin, for having me on board. Awesome. So I always want to know with every entrepreneur that I ever meet, what the origin story is. So take me back. What is your founding story? How did you come up with the idea? Right. I think in, uh, in uh, 2015, end of 2015 towards 2016, I, I was trying to lease out my property. And uh, I mean, being a, a tech savvy guy, I was looking around to see how can I advertise it myself. Uh, but only to find that uh, the classifieds outside, the classified sites out there were mainly focusing on property agent, and therefore I couldn't do it myself. So uh, the bigger problem is that when I try to approach property agent, I try to reach out to 50 agents. I actually SMS 50 agents and only like 10 uh, reverted. And uh, eventually two came to take photo of my property and then get listed. So the conversion rate was horribly low, and that's what uh, got me alarmed that you know this whole model seems to be quite broken in a way, and uh, there wasn't any platform that is actually built in mind to empower uh, property owners and tenants to uh, do it direct uh, with uh, sort of like automation. Um, so that's that's really how it got things started. We were thinking about. The market is so broken, and how can a technology come into uh, assisting the uh, entire process? Okay, okay. And so, t- tell me a little bit about involving tech solutions into this. What, what was the what was the what was the solution that you ended up developing, and how did you end up going about uh, the initial steps in building it? Well, when we started it, it was uh, something very simple, just a classified app. Really, to 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 facilitate the transaction as an MVP, right? And uh, people were happy about it in the fact that, in the sense where they are able to communicate directly without going through a middleman. Um, so that helps a little bit. But the things came in when you know we were, we were always thinking, how can we build a more holistic view of the entire ecosystem? So we started off with uh, tenancy agreement signing where most of these DIY landlords um, and tenants where they are thinking about, oh, how do I deal with tenancy agreement? Uh, what kind of causes do we need to have? How do we structure a good tenancy agreement? So that's where we, uh, we built our first uh, digital signing on tenancy agreement. 
I mean, 2016 back then, uh, it's really, really rare that you know hear anything on digital signing, right? Um, so we started that um, to, uh, we pioneered that to actually allow people to sign tenancy agreements. So that, uh, from a legality point of view, we solve a big problem where we have always heard that when they do transactions themselves, they don't even sign any agreement, any sort of that. So it's really, really uh, risky from that point of view. And obviously, then eventually we start to uh, go downstream where we help with rental collection and all these things, right? So it, it, became, it, it has evolved to just uh, connect, then transact, then uh, now we go into manage, right? And um, obviously, when we talk about customers, um, uh, just, just at the very initial phase, people just got so excited about being able to connect direct, you know, rather than there wasn't any medium that enables that, right? Back then, even on Facebook, classified wasn't a big thing. So it wasn't like that, uh, there was any uh, viable or reliable channel to do that. So I think we enabled that and eventually things just keep building up and building up uh, to move up the value chain. Yeah, so that's how we actually... Okay. So when you were looking at building out that value chain, how were you, how were you going about trying to get the information from the customers utilizing the platform to try and figure out what to prioritize? Because we always live in this sort of finite resources. So you need to prioritize what the customers want most. How did you go about trying to figure that out? I think when we, um, in fact, sometimes um, problems, I think they're... Uh, very often problems are very visible in the sense where people always complain about it, but people just don't think it's a problem that they want to tackle on. You know, mm-hmm. say for example, um, a lot of customers will come to us, especially tenants, they'll come to me, uh, come to me and say, hey, we, we, we have a deal, but uh, I couldn't afford to pay the deposit. And and we couldn't do the deal. Uh, some uh, landlords would come to us as well. Hey, I have a tenant who want to rent a house and they couldn't afford to pay the deposit. And how do we deal with that, right? So there are multiple areas where you think about, first of all, it's from a process point of view. Uh, tenancy agreement, obviously, is one thing that we certainly need to solve as part of the user experience. But there are other things that is non-product based where, you know, you think about problems in the market where they say it's a financial problem or whatnot, where basically it, it, it hampers any possibility of transacting. So, uh, I mean, when we are in the business of helping people to transact, then obviously we have to take into consideration what are their pain points. So uh, that is one of our biggest uh, innovation uh, in terms of how we look at the market and we launched this zero deposit. And obviously because of launching that, uh, the things that people see is not no longer so much on the front end, but on the back end where how do you screen tenants, how do you make sure that you mitigate the risk and so and so forth. So those were the things that we started building as a a result of this kind of uh, engagement with. Okay. 
Okay. So tell, tell me a little bit about the zero deposit, because I know a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, landlords want, say, a two-month deposit, maybe plus some extra for utilities or whatever the case may end up being. So getting, get, getting after that zero deposit, how do you tackle that problem? Well, it, it comes back to, um, I mean, if you're really doing just zero deposit uh, at face value that landlords really get zero protection, I think it will be a really tough sell. Mm. Um, so obviously, we have to think of a mechanism or some way or some, uh, some way to protect the landlords, right? Um, so when we started off, um, uh, nobody wanted to insure this kind of product. And obviously, it's new. And uh, more importantly, it's not proven. Uh, we always ask, uh, we, uh, we tried to approach VC back then, and VC said, um, did, you copy any, uh, did you copy anyone else from the States? Or anyone else in the world has this? And we were like, um, <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Then they were like, pretty much, yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> um, yeah, they, and, they wanted an already proven model. They didn't want to actually take the risk on a business, it sounds like. Exactly, right? Uh, so, you know, it's always about which one did you copy, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, so we, we, we say that, okay. Um, and when we, we spoke to insurance company, obviously they will start talking about what's your volume, you know, if it's too small of a business, they don't even want to start to have an underwriting process. So we decided just to underwrite it ourselves. We take on the risk and we, we just say, hey, if this tenant defaults, speed home will pay. Or back then it was speed rent. Uh, mm -hmm. Speed rent will pay you. So yeah, that's how we actually started, you know, um, from, from, from then, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I have to imagine if it, if it's if it's utilizing insurance in order to provide the security for, on behalf of the landlord while giving the tenant the the benefit of not the huge upfront, you must have ended up having a uphill battle to convince the insurers as well, yeah. Because it's not just the the VCs, but then the insurers probably need to get some level of familiarity with the the risk associated with it. Yeah, I think uh, we, so uh, as I mentioned just now, we started it by underwriting ourselves. Mm. So, you know, uh, we just uh, bulldoze it. We just, just go with it and let's see what happens, right? It, it may get us bankrupt or not. We just decided let's go ahead because we need to transact something. We need mm -hmm. to make some revenue out of it. Um, so a year later, uh, obviously somehow, uh, you know, through a, a, a connection, we connected with the Alliance and, um, that's how they said, uh, I think it helps it that when an insurer company is actually looking into digital space, um, they are more open to explore new business model because they believe that traditional uh, insurance product may not be necessarily suitable for uh, digital companies, right? So they were open to explore. And uh, this product actually took some time. Um, it has to go through Munich for approval as well because uh, it's a big financial risk mm -hmm. in terms of uh, insuring these rental losses. So actually, 
it has gone through a substantial uh, scrutiny by a lot of departments in the alliance uh, in order to get it out. So yeah, we 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 had a. Uh, uh, I mean, back then even alliance were okay to discuss. We at the same time we tried to approach other insurer company. They don't. They don't take a look at all. Yeah, I, I, would, I would naturally lean towards the thinking that the it's it wouldn't be a very far leap from the existing property insurance that they provide to uh, homeowners and so forth. The main change is you're you're insuring against the potential damage or issues that may be caused by a tenant. Um, so it's, it. Logically, it doesn't seem like as as far of a leap, but it's it sounds like it was still quite a bit of approval processes for you to actually get your foot in the door there. Yeah, so there are two things, right? Um, yeah, so approval process is one thing, and it has to go through Bank Negara. Uh, um, yeah, licensing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so all these things, um, you know, they rather not do anything than you know trying to push through something that may not you financially substantial for the business, right? So, okay. so I think that, that that's one of the biggest. Things. So you yourself have to be a licensed insurance agent. It's, it's not sufficient in order to have an insurance partner. You yourself have to be licensed. Yeah. So if you were to uh, take any commission out of it, uh, then obviously we need to be an agency. But if you were just buying it, consuming it, uh, say, for example, Grab and all those, they mm-hmm. consume the service, uh, the insurance product, then obviously you don't need to have a license because okay. you are not expecting to take any commission of it. Yeah, but in this sense, you're you're essentially kind of a reseller taking a commission off that resale, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay, I, I understand. Um Okay, cool. So like, you know, when you're getting when you're getting started, you're getting all this set up and essentially you're trying to build two sides of a marketplace of having enough supply of homes to rent while also trying to convince people to do their searches for their yeah. next uh, location on your site. How yeah. do you go about building out that in the early days and balancing the dynamics of supply and demand? Hmm. Um, so... When we started, it was really about um, we advertised to both parties, uh, tenants and landlords. Um, if we had to choose which one is more important, obviously it's the landlords because you need to have inventories. Um, then the tenant came on board. Um, obviously, then people would say, what's your USP and so and so forth, right? So we, we basically started with um, Connect Direct so that, you know, um, you get the best discussion out of it, of negotiation. It's always easier and so and so So that's how we get our initial um, uh, traction. But ultimately, after a while, you always need to balance where is your demand more than your supply or supply more than demand. So basically, after that, you have to keep changing the ratio. Uh, but as far as we are right now, uh, I think we are really much uh, lack of inventory. Uh, we have huge demand. Uh, and uh, it's it, it has become a company priority that we want to really focus on just uh, building up supply for the marketplace at this point. 
And and what are the best channels to try and build up that supply? Because if you're trying to go directly to the landlords, what sort of outreach are you leveraging in order to get to them and convince them onto the platform? Yeah, so I think it, um, we 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 try not to do too many too much of a physical things because it seems like it's too hard to scale. Mm. So we do go for Facebook. Uh, stuff like that but uh, now we are trying to work on partnership with uh, property developers uh, trying to uh, strike partnership with uh, yeah property developers because they are the most direct okay and that's yeah. so that's primarily targeting the new units yeah the yeah. new units that are coming online yeah okay okay and are you is is most of your supply inside of KL or are you all across Malaysia well, we are very much focused in KL. Um, we, so when we talk to these property developers, obviously they will be having in Johor or Penang. Um, they're asking us if we want to go there. And I, get, I guess it's, uh, if once we have sufficient supply, then obviously it makes sense for us to uh, start operation there. Uh, as, I mean, as a platform, we are nationwide. Um, but uh, there are areas of service fulfillment required, for example, to show the house. Uh, some, uh, pretty much most of our transactions are owners DIY, but there are people who prefer us to show the house. So, um, okay. so that's a chicken and egg issue as well. Yeah, because you, you need them on the platform in order to justify having the resources in place there. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And on 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 that, uh, with with the with the owner DIY, you know, you know, if they went through a broker, they have to pay the commissions to the brokers. Do you do like a cost comparison when you're trying to convince them of the value proposition of coming onto the platform, or what's what's the key messaging that that you utilize the most when going to the landlords? Well, I think. We we actually we uh, we allow them to uh, the cost of the uh, insurance the premium uh, is equivalent to one month of the rental which mm-hmm. is uh, the same uh, to uh, to that of the properties agent uh, commission right we we take one month they take one month as well um, so what we say is very simple um, you know with the one month that you pay to speak home, first of all, you get an insurance product protection, which we believe it's uh, better than deposit. Uh, second thing is that you get a tenant, which, you know, uh, and third, we, you have this uh, rental collection solutions that we offer as a complimentary service, right? So with property agent, you're just getting a tenant. Mm-hmm. So it's the same cost, but the value that we provide, it's uh, different, uh, a lot better, right? So that's how we generally uh, explain. Okay. okay. So you get you can actually facilitate all the monthly rental payments going through your platform, so that the the landlord doesn't have to um, put in the the work and effort. I imagine that's 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 much more appealing to somebody that has multiple properties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Um, um, Certainly, it helps to, uh, you know, it, it became 
uh, certainly it will require uh, owner's assistance sometimes, you know, because if the tenants is not responding and whatnot, mm. then we still need to fall back to them. But at least majority of the times it's taken off uh, from their uh, mind, right? From, to deal with this method. Okay. Okay. And and with that, how does the approval process go for a new tenant? Because there is a component where if it is owner DIY, they're likely wanting to have some control and influence over that decision-making process. But there's also the insurance side of it in order to ensure the zero deposit, which requires an approval from your side to make sure that you're underwriting uh, appropriately. How does that balance out? Oh, well, um, Typically, what we have found is that uh, owners uh, typically, we, we see that there are a lot of, um, they do the first layer of filtration in the sense where uh, based on our statistics, they are not so much on racial uh, discrimination anymore with our platform, but there's a lot of nationality um, that comes into this uh, stereotyping thing um so they would say you know i don't want foreigners uh, for example they prefer local um then the rest of it they they are more uh, they hand over the process to us to screen the tenant so if the speed home says yes it has passed our screening then generally they are more comfortable moving ahead with that so we have um we basically screen the tenants based on uh Bank Negara's uh, secrets data, and uh, we also use our uh, internal data points to supplement uh, to supplement that. Uh, recently, we have uh, launched a psychometric test as well uh, to test on behavior uh, behavioral uh, testing. So we are looking into more holistic way of uh, screening tenant right now, uh, rather than just purely financial. Okay. Okay. And is, is there a particular segment of the rental market that you find uh, uh, is, is more drawn to this type of offering in regards to like uh, rental price, monthly rental price? Well, I think, um, well, of course, when we talk about market demand, um, majority, if not high majority, I would say 60 to 80% of the market is obviously local market right, in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, it would be in the range of affordability. So the rental rate is somewhere below 2000 a month. Uh, if anything goes beyond 2005, I don't think Malaysian in general uh, population is huge enough to have that, right? So, of course, uh, the, the market segment is all drilled towards the more affordable segment, which is where uh, our strength is and majority of the volume. Um, so, we basically focus on that. And uh, in terms of the tenant uh, demographics, we are looking at young graduates to young families, so between 28 to 35 of age, okay. or 38, yeah. And do you do you find that the ter- that the that the length of term of those uh, rental arrangements is longer? I'd imagine if it's going after a younger population, that there's more turnover. Say two years, and they move into another one. They try and upgrade because their careers proge- progressing, their incomes are progressing. How do you see that play out? 
Yes, that's uh, absolutely true. Um, the younger ones are moving more often, and that's primarily driven by moving closer to their workplace. Um, so typically, a year or two years is something like that. We have customers that have lived since the early days of uh, speed rent for five five years plus. Uh, they're still renting, uh, and they are family. So uh, generally, when they are family, then they are much likely to stay for long term. Yeah, when you when you have little ones around, it's not nearly as uh, enjoyable exactly. to go through the process of moving. <laughs> yeah, new friends. They don't want to move to to get no new friends. They want to be with their friends. You know. Yeah. yeah. So schools, all of those yeah. sort of characteristics that are really like anchors. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me let me switch gears a little bit and talk about on the on the human resources side, the talent side of building a business. How did you go about uh, scale scaling up your organization and attracting the sufficient level of talent? Have you encountered any challenges in attracting talent? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is um, universal problem. Um. And uh, so what we do is that uh, it depends on the type of the job. Uh, we actually hire globally. Um, so whoever, so long they, they, we can afford them, they are okay to work for the price that we are willingly to pay. <laughs> we are fine uh, with uh, where you are from. Uh, so we started with a lot of... Um, so our data science team were built out of Algeria. Um, we have uh, people, uh, software engineers coming from uh, anywhere from uh, uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, locally as well. Um, we almost hired Turkish as well, even Chinese uh, from China. Uh, but. Um, yeah, so we, 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 we don't mind where they are from so long they can perform, right? Okay. Um, so that's where we do. And uh, for locally, I think um, we, we found that uh, local talents, uh, we, we, we always try to compare, right? Uh, for the same of the for what budget, where should we hire, right? So obviously for customer service and that, uh, for language, point of view obviously we need someone local um so we we are very specific in uh, which type of uh, should be local and which can be international so what we do is um to build a talent pipeline we actually go to universities to um, engage with uh, the career office um to to actually get interns in to spot talents okay okay with with the foreign talents are you managing a remote workforce or are you actually importing some of these talents into uh, malaysia uh majority uh, i mean prior to covid we do import them and during the uh, pandemic obviously some of them have left the country mm -hmm. and they we didn't see a need for them to come back so a majority of our uh, foreign uh, staff, they are remote right now. 
Okay. And how have you found managing a remote workforce? Has it been pretty seamless or are there any bumps along the road in transitioning? Uh, I think some of those uh, who, has, uh, who have came to Malaysia, I mean, we have built a sufficient understanding. Um, they understood the business. They know the culture of the business, um, how we work and and when they're back, then uh, it helps to um, manage the expectation. Uh, time zone is a big, big issue. Uh, but uh, fortunately, some of the things are not time sensitive. So we would do it, you know, say our meetings would go at about 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, instead of early in the morning. Um, so it helps to bridge yeah, you're not you're not talking about a drastic time difference of going to. I mean, Algeria is is, is not not like flipping the AM PM, so it's still a no. more manageable time zone for you to be able to interact with. Exactly. Um, okay. Okay. Let, let me shift gears one more time and start getting into more of the growth story <coughs> and looking towards how you're going to define success. Um, look, looking forward, are you contemplating or are you have have you already taken steps towards entering another country market? Well, um, we were looking into Bangkok, and the COVID has uh, continuously. Uh, stopping us from doing it. Um, so now when we are look, we're looking at it, uh, we are looking at uh, Bangkok again. Yeah, okay. so that's the next uh, CP development. And out of curiosity, because this is something that I know a lot of founders always struggle with, when you look at trying to figure out your next market, how did you go about analyzing and saying that's the one? Hmm. I think uh, I think the most important thing is the market access, uh, depending on the partners that you know, uh, the market size is beyond my, our consideration. Unless all the same, if you don't have market access, then obviously you look at the market size, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, investors that are familiar with high market and they have access to it. Then uh, even though if it's a small country, I think it's a, it helps us to expand much easier without understanding uh, someone who knows the locals, the culture. So that is uh, the main reason why we chose uh, Bangkok, purely because of uh, know-how, people, connections. And on on that, when you look at the insurance uh, component and the regulatory and licensing that you had to get through in Malaysia, do you have to encounter a similar process in neighboring country markets? So when you look at Bangkok, yes. you're going to have to go through the licensing as well, yeah? Yeah. Um, so obviously, we have the you know uh, benefits of uh, you know Allianz has a sister company in uh, Thailand as well, so it helps a lot that you know uh, endorsement coming from Malaysia. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot. Okay. Okay. So there's, there's a, some added benefit of having the right partner in place. Of course. Of course. Okay. Perfect. So looking at uh, defining success, then how would you define success either as a product, a platform, or as an organization? I think for success for us, you know, um, 
But for us, what we see is uh, what kind of uh, contribution do we make for the market? Because uh, we believe that when we solve market problem, uh, market will reward us handsomely. And so we always think about uh, success is how can we make our customer more success with mm-hmm. our platform uh, and solving problems that nobody else wants to solve, I think that would create a new market for us okay. um, just by that stuff, yeah. Okay. And when you look at uh, success, is there a key metric or some sort of measure that you're using in order to guide yourself of if you're on track? Well, of course, if we are talking about revenue point of view, mm-hmm. then obviously it's... Um, um, how many, uh, as I mentioned just now, we are shortage of the supply. Mm. So the one and only metrics that we're really focusing on is uh, getting supply. And um, when there's supply, uh, we have no problem of uh, renting it out because uh, we have tremendous amount of uh, demand. Okay. So I guess that kind of ties into to my next question. So if you if you look at balancing that supply side and focusing on it, is there one specific thing that you would point to that you must get right in order to solve that side of the equation right now? Uh, yeah. So obviously we want to figure out uh, uh, how can we scale the um, landlord side, right? So we have to work with developers, a lot of it will come down to partnerships. Uh, and when we say partnership, is uh, people that have a lot of supply. Uh, so the, the key thing that we'll be focusing on is a lot on uh, partnerships moving forward. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Let me shift into my standard closing questions right. before we wrap up. So the first one of these is, what is the tech tool that you can't live without in building your business? Uh, I rely a lot on uh, mind map. Okay. So just to map out uh, things, planning. Yeah, mind map. Okay, very cool. And if you were to talk to another startup founder out there that is just getting started, what is the biggest piece of advice that you could offer? Well, I think uh, find a good mentor that would um, shorten your your time to to you know whatever goals that you have, or else you will be banging your head like me. You know, <laughs> get a mentor, right? Uh, someone who is invested to help you, invested to help you, who knows their thing. Uh, that would be the most important thing, especially for people just starting up. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I want to drill on that a little bit because I love the aspect of having a mentor. Do you, do you have a personal thought in regards to what constitutes a good mentor? Is it somebody from the industry? Is it another startup founder? Is it potentially an angel investor or a friendly investor, partner? What constitutes a good mentor or could it come from anywhere? Well, it can come from anywhere. I mean, obviously, you need to, uh, you know, uh, mentor when we say, you know, first of all, they have, uh, I think there are not many mentors that are all-rounded, right? Um, 
So certain mentors are good in marketing or basically hustling if you need someone to give you some creative ideas or whatnot. And so I, I don't think mentors necessarily have one person. It can be coming from multiple sources. Uh, or more importantly, uh, I always say triangulate. Uh, you know, ask for different opinions and then go around with it. But there are not many people that would really spend the time to sit down and understand because I can really give you a very generic answer to a problem, which sometimes it's not that the founder haven't thought of it. It's just that they couldn't figure out how to, you know, it's just like I give you, uh, how do you get your first customer? Well, just go talk to your customer and you will get your first customer. Uh, you know, it's too generic in a sense, right? They need to understand the business to be specifically giving you certain advice. Uh, yeah, so that's what uh, what I found. It's tough to have someone that really, truly interested in helping you understanding your business. Yeah, yeah. So find a mentor, but it's not always easy to find somebody that can invest the time into understanding it and provide the finer detail of advice beyond the generic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think that I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, this has been a great session. Thank you very much, Wei Ming. This has been fantastic. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thanks for having me. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.